0: This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. This is episode number 69, entitled, What Does Son of God Mean in John's Gospel? Part 6. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. If this is your first time at the podcast, welcome. Be sure to subscribe so that you do not miss out on future episodes. And if you are a regular listener, welcome back and thanks for listening. My name is Dustin Smith and I am your host. What does Son of God mean in the fourth gospel? Is the Son of God a pre-existing figure from heaven who sat alongside the Father before becoming human? Is Son of God Another way of referring to God the Son, the second member of the supposed triune Godhead. Does Son of God refer to someone who is co-equal with the Father? Many have assumed that the answers to these questions are yes. Our goal in this series is to explore what actually Son of God meant in the Gospel of John. Thus far in our series which is now in its sixth part, we have not found the exalted high Christology in regard to the title Son of God as it pertains to Jesus. Thus far in the Gospel of John, Son of God seems better suited as a title representing a high human Christology rather than a divine Christology or a Trinitarian Christology. Will that change with Jesus claiming to be one with the Father in today's passage? Let's find out in this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. This week, we will examine John chapter 10, and I will start reading our passage in verse 22. At that time, the feast of the dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. Then the Jews were gathered around and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. But you do not believe, because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? The Jews answered him, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. Jesus answered them, Has it not been written in your law, I said, you are gods? If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him, whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God? If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works, so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I in the Father. Therefore they were seeking again to seize him, and he eluded their grasp. That's John chapter 10, verses 22 through 39. This passage, as you can see, is deeply concerned with the person and role of the Son of God, just as we are. Based on this text, we can exegete the meaning of Son of God into three discernible, descriptive summaries. Let's look at them in detail. Our first point today is the Son of God is the Father's authorized representative. This entire account is oriented in order to portray Jesus as the one whom the Father has sent and authoritatively commissioned. In particular, the works of Jesus, which are defined as good works in John 10, 32, are performed in the Father's name. The Son of God repeatedly stresses that His activity is under the agency of God the Father, rather than doing a solo Son of God project. Note how this key point continues to appear in the narrative. Jesus says, The works that I do in the Father's name, these testify of me, in John 10.25. We'll look a little further at the reference in John ten. 29, but it's likely that the original text said, What the Father has given me is greater than all. Jesus again says in 1032 that, I have shown you many good works from the Father. And finally, he says, If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me, but if I do them, believe the works. That's in 1037 through 38. The mighty deeds and works accomplished by the Son of God are not his own works. They are the works of the Father. Jesus, as the Father's authorized agent, does the works that are typically reserved for God alone. In particular, it's the ability to give life, which is a prerogative belonging to God alone. But God has invested this authority in the Son of God so that he may give eternal life in the Father's name. Jesus, as the Son of God, is not speaking as one who is co-equal with the Father because the Father authorized Jesus to perform the life-giving good work. Put plainly, the Son of God is only able to perform his good works because, because he had the Father's blessing and permission to do so, making the Son of God dependent upon the Father in order to do his good works. Our second point today is that the Son of God is a human being. After Jesus claimed to be one with the Father in John 10.30, the Jews ready their stones to stone him for blasphemy. When Jesus questions why they are on the verge of stoning him, the Jews respond that Jesus, being a man, appears to be making himself out to be God. That's John 10, 33. From the perspective of the Jews, Jesus was two things, a human being and someone who was making himself out to be God. It is interesting and important to see how Jesus corrects them. Jesus' response seeks to correct the latter of the two claims, the suggestion that Jesus was making himself out to be God. But Jesus does not correct their claim that he is a man, a human being, an anthropos in Greek. The humanity of Jesus actually stressed far more in the Gospel of John than the other three Gospels. In fact, Jesus is called a human being more times in John than in Matthew, Mark, and Luke combined. For the purposes of our study, the Son of God is an authentic human being in the Gospel of John, and Jesus does not refute this status when it is spoken of him. We actually saw in last week's episode that Jesus himself claims to be a human being. It might be helpful to understand the relevance of a human being claiming to be divine during the Feast of Dedication and why this would have triggered the Jews at that time in the manner that it is portrayed in our current chapter. The Feast of Dedication, also known as Hanukkah, commemorated the rededication and purification of the Jerusalem temple after its desecration at the hands of Antiochus IV and his Syrian troops in the year 167 BCE. Antiochus, at this time, claimed to be God-manifest, and thus the title Epiphanes, which means God-manifest, was associated with him. This is why Antiochus IV is known as Antiochus Epiphanes. The story of this pagan ruler and how the faithful people of God resisted the influx of Hellenism would have been retold during the festival's celebration. 2 Maccabees, a book recounting the events of the temple's desecration and ultimate rededication, notes in chapter 9 and verse 12 that, quote, Mortals should not think that they are equal to God. Quote. In other words, the festival of dedication, which was taking place in Jerusalem, within the immediate setting of John chapter 10, celebrates how the faithful Jews resisted the human being who claimed to be God. And now Jesus shows up, a man supposedly like Antiochus, who appears to be making himself out to be God. Jesus, of course, is not making himself out to be anything. Everything the Son of God has was given to him by the Father. So Jesus is also able to make exalted claims because he was both genuinely empowered by the Father and one who is authentically human. Our third point today is that the Son of God has been empowered with divine prerogatives. I want to return to John 10:29 and look at this verse closely. It's one of the few passages in the New Testament where the many textual variants make it difficult to reconstruct what the original text says. Many readers of the Bible are unaware that there is more than one available option as to what this verse said and meant. Modern translations have settled for one of two options. The first option says, What my Father has given me is greater than all. We see this in the NRSV and in the footnotes of the ESV, NASB, and NIV. And so the what that the Father has given to Jesus refers to the divine prerogative, namely the divine prerogative of giving life. The second option would have John 10:29 saying, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. We see this in the NESB, the ESV, and most other modern translations. And here, this is referring to the people given to Jesus by the Father. The first option points to the fact that Jesus has been given something that is greater than all things. And the variant, in Greek, with the neuter relative pronoun would be employed here, being what the Father has given me, referring to a thing. This refers to the empowerment the Son of God has received from the Father in order to give eternal life to the people. The second option sees the Father as the one who is greater than all persons which would clearly point to a subordinationist Christology, and would require that the Greek variant relative pronoun be masculine, referring to the father, the father who has given them to me. The issue, though, is that the object of the verb give being them, as the text says, who has given them in the second option, is not actually in the Greek. And the majority of the translations are forced to supply this object. This is why in many translations where it says, the father who has given them to me, has the object them in italics, because it's not actually in the Greek text. The translators are forced to supply that object in order for their rendition to make sense. In light of this omission, I think it is far more likely that the first textual option is more likely to be original, namely that, quote, what the Father has given me is greater than all, end quote, as is found in the NRSV and the NASB footnote. The fact that Jesus shares in the life-giving prerogative that was thought of as belonging to God alone is what makes the Father and the Son into one. According to John ten thirty, meaning one in purpose. This oneness in purpose is, by the way, the consensus view of modern commentaries. But it should be stressed that it is the shared good work of the Father giving life, which Jesus is now performing in the Father's name that makes the two one in mind and purpose. Of course, if the Son of God is only able to impart eternal life because the Father has given this exalted prerogative to Jesus, then the Son of God is not innately co-equal with the Father. The Son of God was unable to impart life without having received that ability from the Father. This indicates that the Son of God, in our present passage, is an empowered figure, not one, who is co-equal with God the Father. It is important that we discuss the scriptural citation offered by Jesus as a response to the claim that he was making himself out to be God. This accusation has already been directed towards the Son of God back in John chapter 5, where Jesus' discussion of God, guess what, sharing divine prerogatives with the Son of God resulted in the Jews claiming that Jesus was making himself out to be equal with God. The wording of this phrase is crucial. The accusation is that Jesus, the Son of God, is, quote, making himself, end quote, out to be God or equal with God. However, both in chapter 5 and in our current chapter, it is not Jesus making himself out to be anything. The initiative and action is not originating with the Son of God. It is originating with the Father. It is the Father who makes Jesus out to be who he is. Not Jesus making himself out to be something exalted. It is the Father who has given the life-giving good work to Jesus, not Jesus claiming this privilege illegally. In order to prove this point, Jesus cites Psalm 82, a psalm where human judges who were expected to judge fairly as representatives of God are called gods, an empowering title given to human beings who share in God's privileges. It is important to note that in this psalm, it is human beings who are empowered by with God's privileges to judge that are being described. The entirety of the citation of Psalm 82 and verse 6, which Jesus quotes, says, I said you are gods, and all of you are sons of the Most High. In the parallelism of Psalm 82, 6, the human rulers who are called gods are also called sons of the Most High, or sons of God. Jesus responds to his Jewish opponents that these human rulers were called gods, and the word of God came to them that empowered them to perform the function of the judge. These authorized and empowered human judges were called son of God, and according to Psalm 82, they were not doing a very good job at judging in a way that fairly represented God and his goodness to the world. If these empowered humans could be called sons of God, then certainly Jesus, who is actually doing the good deeds of God, unlike the unfaithful judges in Psalm 82, could be called the Son of God. Jesus is not blaspheming, for the Father has sanctified him the father has sanctified the son of god likely a reference to jesus receiving the holy spirit at his baptism and remember the baptism of the son of god was the event that marked him out publicly as the messiah jesus continues in john 10:37-38 by emphasizing his obedient doing of the good works of the father as an authorized and empowered representative of God. The Son of God is not claiming to be Yahweh himself, nor is he claiming to be one who is co-equal with the Father. Now note this, if Jesus was God, he would have answered the Jews in a very different manner than to cite a passage where human beings represent God with empowered prerogatives. In order to legitimate what he was doing, Jesus cites a passage from the Hebrew Bible where human beings are called son of God because they represent God with their empowered privileges. In conclusion, we have observed that John chapter 10 is deeply concerned with who the son of God is and what he can rightfully do throughout the dialogue jesus defines son of god in very specific ways first son of god is the authorized agent of the father performing the father's deeds and good works second the son of god is a human being a man albeit a highly empowered human being who is the messiah god's anointed king lastly we observe that Son of God bears the divine prerogatives of the Father, giving life in accordance with the Father's empowerment. In light of this, the Son of God is not making himself out to be divine. Rather, the Father has given divine privileges to the Son, meaning that it was the Father's initiative that made the Son of God into an authorized representative. Both the Father and the Son of God are one in purpose. But this oneness is due to the Father's empowering initiative and the Son's obedience to the vocation of the Son of God. The Son of God, in John chapter 10, never claims to be divine in and of himself, nor does he claim to be co-equal with the Father. The Son of God, rather, is a highly empowered human being, acting as the agent of the Father's life-giving blessing to the world. This points to a strong, high-human Christology, not to a Trinitarian Christology. Please look forward to more episodes in the Biblical Unitarian Podcast where we're going to dig deeper into the Gospel of John and its understanding of the title Son of God as it pertains to Jesus Christ. If you think this podcast is great and that it might speak truth to your friends or family, be sure to share it with them. I'd really appreciate it. If you enjoy the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, please also consider supporting us. You can check out this episode's description or the attached Google document for a PayPal link thank you so much for joining us today. Again, my name is Dustin Smith. Until next time, you folks take care.